This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to women losing their marvels. I am Joe Lipset, and I'm joined, as always, by Jen Adams. Hello. As well as Gina Radcliffe. Hello. Ladies, we are visiting the frigid Christmas Massachusetts prison system because <laughs> we are talking about the adaptation of Otessa Mosfi's Eileen. Ooh. We sure are. Perfect time. We are recording now as a cold snap is hitting the country and my house is covered in inches of snow. So feels perfect. Yeah, but you know what? I, I can't imagine your house looks as depressing <laughs> as oh. this Boston suburb in the 1960s in the middle of winter. Hold on. Let me just kick my crumpled uh, pile of candy wrappers under the desk before I answer you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This movie... It's interesting because you feel so bad for Eileen in the mm -hmm. beginning. And then as the movie continues, you just think, girl, no, just stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's, she's very much a uh, complicated protagonist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's a fascinating role for Thomas and Mackenzie because my only other real exposure to her is Last Night in Soho. So from my perspective, every Thomas and Mackenzie movie is just her being upstaged by a hot blonde. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is very much what this movie is. Although I do think her performance is great. Like the oh, draw great. for me is Anne Hathaway. So good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's got like ASMR horror vibes to me too. You know, like just the way she's like always feeling her hair and like that bar scene. She's just so like, I don't know. I just want to drink her look in. Hmm. Gina, would you say that this is kind of femme fatale territory? Oh, absolutely. 100%. The interesting thing about this this movie is you really don't get a bead at any point for how Anne Hathaway's character actually feels about anything. Mm -hmm. No. You, you don't know if she is kind of into Eileen or just kind of messing around with her because she's mm -hmm. bored and, and, you know, is done with men or, you know, and when she, she drags Eileen into this, uh, this plot to kidnap the mother of an inmate at this juvenile detention center, it's like, is she just fucking with her or is this mm -hmm. something Honestly. that like, you know, she actually, you know, desperately needs her help with. And, and you never really get a clear answer on that. And I, and I, mm -hmm. and I think that that's a pretty interesting way to, to, to go about telling the story. Yeah. I think there is another edit of this or a kind of a retelling where, you know, she doesn't actually exist. Now I'm not saying I feel like that is, real you know i know she is a character in this movie an actual person but mm -hmm. she just she drops in out of nowhere and she disappears out of nowhere again you could easily reframe it that she's imagining her yeah you know, mm -hmm. I, I, you know just 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 you know remove any scenes where other people are reacting to, mm -hmm. to i'm sorry i completely forgot Anne hathaway's character's name i did too it's <laughs> rebecca rebecca that's right. right i was like is it helen no, that's not right. Uh, um, she could be a Helen. She could be a Helen. Yeah. You could cut out, you could just simply cut out other people reacting to her. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you stumbled onto something, the two of you, because in a lot of ways, I remember having difficulty the first time I saw this film because it feels like Rebecca is a completely different character when we get to the Polk household for that Mm -hmm. last act. And obviously you could say, oh, well, she's undergone something traumatic that she wasn't fully expecting and she's not prepared to handle it. But part of me also thought, I wonder how much of this movie is actually just being filtered through Eileen's perspective. And initially she sees Rebecca as this very competent, very sexually active and aggressive woman who's not afraid of holding her own. And then what we're actually seeing at the end of the film is who Rebecca really is. And that's when the Mm. filter has come off and Eileen's like, oh, you're just another lady. Mm hmm. Yeah, a little bit of a mess like me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that read. And I mean, we could make the argument again, I don't think this is correct, but that she doesn't exist in that last section of the film, you know, that right. this is, I don't think Eileen would have gotten herself into this situation on her own, given what we know about her. But you're right, it feels like a completely different character. Mm hmm. So, Gina, I think you and I both saw this last year at Sundance, and that was an interesting experience because we didn't know what the reception was going to be, whether the film was actually even going to be any good. But I think you told us that you had already read the book. I actually didn't see it at Sundance. I didn't see it till a couple months ago. I went to a, oh, I went to okay. a theatrical screening. And yes, I have read the book. And I will say that uh, you think she seems a little gross sometimes in uh, <laughs> in in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. They really amp that up in the book. She is basically just disgusting. And, and oh. like there are a couple moments where she like scratches it. She like smells her fingers, and it's mm-hmm. like and, mm-hmm. and and I, and I realize that with a you know a, a mainstream movie they can only go so far with that before it you know it becomes distracting and you know okay what is the movie about is it about this person or is it about how how, you know how gross she is but like (laughs) why not both come on the the book is more you know directly from her perspective right so but yeah it kind of very leans hard into making her more off-putting Mm. And, and which again i think is a uh, kind of a bold choice particularly for a a, a female protagonist mm-hmm. so you know i i think that the uh, the reader is a bit challenged you know are you go- are you on board with this character you know, being who you take this journey with right you know even with somebody that in real life you probably wouldn't want to get within 10 feet of because they're probably like tearing the wings off of flies or 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 mm-hmm. you know there's clearly something wrong with them where you know in, in in this she's just very awkward you know she seems much younger than she actually is and yes. and, and i think that's also a a credit to casting thomas and mckenzie because i i guess she's what her early 20s at most yeah but they're mm-hmm. but they're times she little she's about 14 and it's like it's like who hired this child to work at this juvenile detention center and it's like like, the audience you know kind of wants to protect her but at the same time like she's kind of creepy too (laughs) at the same Mm -hmm. time and I, i think that's very clever 
Yeah. Yeah. I will say this movie sets my OCD on edge. Like it just oh. feels like I don't want to touch any surfaces in right. her home. Like it just feels very grimy. And oh, it's so depressing. Religion. Everything, yeah. Everything's depressing. Like the town's mm -hmm. depressing. Her house is depressing. It never seems to be sunny out. It's like mm -hmm. relentlessly gray. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that in the, she is so, shown a couple scenes eating what looks like uh, chocolates mm -hmm. right. in the book. Those are, those are laxatives. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Are they at least chocolate laxatives? They are though? chocolate laxatives, <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, mm. I don't know if that's better or worse, but... Yeah, uh. I, I think that this movie perfectly captures a kind of mood. You know, mm -hmm. we've got a lot of movies that are set in and around this area. Like, I'm thinking I just watched The Holdovers over mm. the holidays, and movies can do such a good job of capturing a sense of wintry hopelessness. And this movie just takes that baton and runs with it because everything about Eileen's life is so just dour and depressing mm -hmm. and dark and grim. Even though if you think about it, I mean, she's got a roof over her head. She's got a car. Obviously, her dad, played by Shea Wiggum perfectly, is horrible to her. But, you know, in some ways, she's got a fairly stable job it's just none of this is very good or exciting and there's no hope for the future which i think is why the minute that anne hathaway walks on screen and all of a sudden there's color there's blondness there's vivaciousness we're dancing in bars and drinking martinis it's such an easy way to connote to the audience that this woman is going to become very important to eileen's development but i love how we set the scene in terms of just, no, this is absolutely hopeless until something new comes upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she just basically, she she's just like an alien that drops down from a spaceship in this, right. in, in this like <laughs> horrid little town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think really shows Eileen like that she's just been watching life. Like I love the way this movie starts with her in the car watching another couple. And then she kind of has this fantasy about about her favorite guard who I also have a crush on. But oh um, God, it's just so <laughs> interesting. Because I think this is when Eileen really realizes that she's she's not actually living life. She is stuck in this dour grayness, you know? Yeah. She's stuffing ice down her pants instead yeah. of living. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, oh, these opening go. scenes really do tell a story, don't they? They really do, yeah. And the first time I watched this, I couldn't figure out how to get the sound on on my DVD player because that's what they will send you if you get screeners mm. that aren't digital links. And yep. so I was just watching it without the sound, and it took me a minute to realize that I should be hearing something. Right. But it was really interesting to kind of watch and I love snow. We were talking off air about like dour gray snow winter weather. That's one of my favorite seasons. And I, mm -hmm. so I love the wintry world of this. It's just her house is so sad, so depressing. Her relationship with her dad, like it feels like you can't distinguish days from each other, you know? Right. I mean, we've not really talked about the role that alcohol plays in mm -hmm. the film as well, but I think that's a really interesting, subtle filter for the narrative and the character arcs as well is like you're just watching how she buys these two bottles of booze 
every single day mm-hmm. and part of me thought oh okay well this is how she's coping you know she's a closet alcoholic we see her go out to the bar she doesn't really know how to handle her liquor but mm-hmm. this idea that she and her father are trapped in this almost perpetual cycle where she buys him booze he gets really drunk he gets really mean to her and she just has nothing to look forward to until the next day when it all starts back over again Yeah, and he's so out of control, too. And, like, because he's not a functioning alcoholic at all. Like, all he does is sit and drink, and then he'll get his gun and just go, like, point it at children or, like, go wander around the streets. And so it's just, like, the highlight of her day is what kind of shit is she going to have to clean up with him, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting because I'm thinking of what Gina said, where Thomas and Mackenzie, especially in the first part of the film, look so young, right? Mm -hmm. She's practically coded as an infant in this she's simultaneously infantilized but then she also has to be the adult and looking after her father you know reassuring the cops that yeah i'm gonna take dad's gun away because he can't be trusted with it anymore taking him to the hospital when he falls so Mm -hmm. this simultaneously she's a child and also a caretaker but also has no life of her own Mm -hmm. yeah and she's stuck Because we know that she has a sister who's not around Mm -hmm. because she is off living her life. And Gina, you mentioned before we started recording that the sister is actually a character in the book, right? Yeah. And and, and basically, it's like just one more person who just gives her constant shit. Oh, no. mm. (laughs) I think we need that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mind that they cut her out because it's like, okay, how many, you know... You know how many people does this does this kid need? You're just wearing her down. I think I think just mm-hmm. you know kind of her having her being torn between not torn but kind of like you know the life with her father and, and a potential life with Rebecca, whatever that means. You right. know, as sort of like you know I can have this or I can have this. You know, and I, and mm-hmm. I think that's like you know whereas you know the main the main reason that you know the sister is so much lorded over it's just it's solely because she's married and has a baby that's it mm. that that's right. like oh your sister's doing so much better than you she has a husband <laughs> it's like, right yeah well it's, she got a husband and also she got away right mm-hmm. like i've had a number of conversations with brenna of my ya podcast where oftentimes in coming of age films what you get is a child who resents the parent who stayed so whether it's Mm. the parent who survived a death or divorce or something like that but they're always the bad ones and it's Mm -hmm. like the one who left somehow gets away scot-free and it feels like in this film eileen gets punished because she's the one who has to stay at home and look after dad like that's one of the things i really love about her relationship with him and why i think Honestly, one of the meanest movie insults I have ever heard in my whole life is when he basically calls her a supporting actor in everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. Like that line is so mean. He's really good. And, and you know, I think that there's a lot of he resents her because he needs her. Mm-hmm. because he can't be that old he has to be like in his 50s or something and i, and I realize yeah. that i realize that in the 1960s 50s being your 50s being like 75 but <laughs> you know you, you figure that like he was a cop at one time and you know at, at one point you know respected member of the community and now he's chief of police yeah yeah he, he's a he's a he's a drunk now and he's helpless and he needs his you know 
barely into her 20s daughter to to mm -hmm. to look after him and and he's projecting his resentment onto the wrong person yes mm -hmm. but you know that's there, there there's that element too you know I, I i hate you because i need you and 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 you see that and honestly you honestly see that in romantic couples too mm -hmm. like you know i i don't want you to be here but i need you to be here Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because I, th unless I'm wrong, I think she came back home because her mother was sick and yes. then her mother yeah. died. So I think there's probably an element of like just grief and I miss my wife and mm -hmm. now I have you that's taking care of me. And there's that moment where he kind of touches her leg in the car, which I read as him just being super drunk. I don't know how yeah. much I interpret. It. Yeah, no, I don't think he even. I don't think he even knew where he was at that point. No. Yeah, but it also like how awful must that feel for her to just constantly get his shit all day to know she's not living up to the mother that she probably misses too, and to have to still take care of him day in and day out when she seems like she's not even really taking care of herself. No. And I love how, I mean, yeah, I read that scene the same way. Although if you think about what we're about to learn mm -hmm. in the Polk household, this does in some ways almost anticipate, well, you could say it anticipates the incestuous relationship that mm -hmm. Mr. Polk had with his son, Lee, who is now in prison for murdering him. But it talks about the secret family dynamics that can be so cutting and so dangerous, mm -hmm. but they're all kept within the domestic sphere, right? They're all in houses and basements and cars. And then we just project this facile, yeah, everything's fine. Don't worry. I'm just going to take dad's gun away. Don't worry mm -hmm. about us. Yeah, it's because it was always it was all about keeping up appearances. Yeah. Like, you know, more recently than anybody cares to admit, like if you were an unmarried Mm -hmm. your sibling it's like your your ass was stuck at home taking care of your parent until until they either yeah. died or or you found someone you could marry and get away yeah mm -hmm. and you're an old maid even if you're like 25 you right know? <laughs> like you know, the, the the sheer fact that she is not married is like a just a massive failing and I, I don't know i mean obviously she is somewhat interested in men she's certainly interested in owen teague because <laughs> sure. she has eyes but, but, all, but also but also <laughs> she does not seem you know frightened or disgusted or confused about her attraction to rebecca either like a, yeah. little, right. a, little, a little overwhelmed maybe but like overwhelmed in the same way as anybody would be seeing anybody that just kind of like you know knocks him right in the middle of the eyes with oh my god this person is the most you know amazing person i've ever seen in my life mm -hmm. yeah well, we can pretend that randy is maybe a suitable option i think in some ways the movie so actively plays into eileen's fantasies right like we get to see her shooting her father we get to see her uh fucking owen teague's character randy like there's just a bunch of these instances where she does have this rich kind of inner imagination but the reality is like he isn't that great a guy when we <laughs> actually get to talk to him in mm -hmm. the prison and then who else are we left with as potential romantic suitors no front teeth from the bar <laughs> yeah well and that's what's so interesting i think the things that are not domestic are set against prison you know and so yeah. i think there's this really interesting comparison between these this boys reformatory and the prison that young women find themselves in if they can't find a way out to escape to like go to college or to get married or to do something other than just get stuck taking care of these men everyone's in a prison in this movie they are oh yeah 
Okay, so I'm curious, as women, how did you two feel about some of the sexism that Eileen encounters? I'm particularly thinking of like the female on female violence that Eileen encounters from the secretaries in the prison. Oh, it was my favorite. <laughs> I just, you know, it's sort of like one more kick in the ass for her is that she, mm -hmm. does, she doesn't even get to. And I think a lot of it just has to do with there, there's, there's such a big age gap between them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like these women are, are at least old enough to be her mother. And, and you know, that, mm -hmm. could, that could be, I mean, I'm not saying that the way they treat her is good or right, but, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't mm -hmm. have that sisterhood that you hope you would get with, you know, a handful of women in a mostly male dominated job. And, you know, and then they're, they're miserable. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, they're, you know, they're probably unhappy with their own kids or their own, you know, life choices. So again, like with uh, Eileen's dad, they take it out on her. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, they can't take it out on the men because that would get them in trouble. That's not acceptable, you know, and I think right. Mrs. Murray, I think, is, is really interesting. I love this actress. She's one of those like, you're like, I know I've seen her. And then you look her up and you're like, oh, I've seen her in everything. Yes, everything. Uh, <laughs> Character actress. I always yeah. think of her most from uh, from Men in Black. Yes, yes, right. that's what I was thinking. Okay. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that I, I feel like I get on my soapbox about, but it's like in the patriarchy, there is a ladder and women get to a certain, they get to their glass ceiling and they can't get any higher. And the way that they stay at that glass ceiling is by stepping on other women right. because they mm -hmm. can't step on other men. She has the option of stepping on the the prisoners too. And that scene in front of the, the, um, the Christmas pageant is just feels so cruel and brutal and i mean granted they do live up to what she's telling them she doesn't want right. to see that they do every year but it also it just feels like she does not give a shit about these boys who are you know boys. essentially children. Yeah, they're, they're teenagers yeah, yeah it's, a it's a juvenile detention facility yeah and given what we know about lee polk and why he's there it's thank god somebody like rebecca has come to actually like see these boys as people that need help mm -hmm. but then she ultimately i think finds that she can't really do anything about it either yeah, I'm curious, Gina, what is the timeline in the book? Because that is one thing I feel it's just a little accelerated that mm -hmm. Rebecca arrives, it feels like she's on the scene for maybe a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, she's out of the office for Christmas. And that's where she completely falls apart trying to deal with the situation in the Polk household. And it just feels a smidge too fast for my liking i don't quite remember off the top of my head i feel like it was it was probably maybe a month or two okay i i assume the reason why they did it for this is to kind of have that you know juxtaposition of everybody's miserable but also it's christmas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> which i love honestly <laughs> oh perfectly plays into just how depressing the holidays can actually be mm-hmm yeah yeah, but oof, that, that pageant does set a good tone, you know, because that's really when we notice that Eileen is taking a keen interest in Rebecca. We understand that Rebecca is there to institute some changes, but obviously she just, well, she basically runs right into the patriarchy and that's where it stops. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the brief inner glimpses that we get of how everything works, even, you know, oh, well, you need to have the right paperwork to come and see your son, Mrs. Polk. It's just mm -hmm. like, come on, give me a break. Yeah, it's just it's just little, you know, serious little fuck yous, you know, and it's like, it's it's like that phrase, you know, like shit rolls down. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, you'd feel miserable about your circumstances. So what makes you feel better? Making somebody you, you deem as beneath you feel even worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Particularly if it's chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> exactly. exactly. From the laxatives, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like this movie, part of the reason I think it feels so painful is that this movie really centers the people that get all the shit dumped on them all the time. Right. And it just like there's there's no escape for it. And it almost feels like, I don't know, Lee, like at least his situation is more structured than Eileen. You know, I'm not saying he's better off, but he's better off than where he was in his house, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's debatable, but. Yeah, I mean, it's not as though he's in a better place because obviously he's still in prison. But from what we see of him, he almost seems to have accepted like at least now i'm in a place where i don't have to worry about that anymore even Mm -hmm. though it's not a better place yeah yeah and i got at least a little bit of justice although i don't think that's what i would call this but there's he he gained some power back and then lost it all which is really sad Mm -hmm. so i'm curious when the two of you watched the film did you anticipate that this is where we were going to go because even on a second time watch knowing okay we're going to end up in the polk family basement we're going to shoot her we're going to have to deal with the body in some ways it almost becomes a more conventional thriller which is not what i was expecting when i first hit play but i do think that a lot of the signs are there and even though i typically hate movies where it's just so depressing like you're stuck in someone's trap situation and there's no way out usually i really don't enjoy those kinds of films I really like this movie. I I love the way it was revealed. And I thought it was very funny that I was in a um a critic screening of it and you could hear you could hear a couple of people gasp. Really? You know, when she when she did the whole uh, you know, this isn't my house. Mm-hmm. And I uh I I think I think the reveal is is very clever. I do think that Rebecca is meant to be perceived as kind of a classic Hitchcock blonde. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, who is definitely you know, she's up to something mm-hmm. and and what that is and how it's going to be revealed isn't quite clear so but like not quite anything like this i don't think right you know you expect her baby to you know talk her talk eileen to killing her father or, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know doing something reckless like that not her not putting herself in in danger by basically, you know, oh, I have to force this mother to you know, make her confess that she, she knew the whole time her son was being molested. And, and oh boy, it's like, I don't know if I entirely buy that as her as her uh, her motivation, mm-hmm. because Rebecca seems a little too a little too cool and detached for yeah. that for that kind of thing. But at the same time, I, I think it is a pretty good twist. Yeah, I think it's a really great twist. It's not where I anticipated the story going when I read the synopsis before re- watching the movie because I did <laughs> I had to write something about it before I got to go see a screener. So the whole thing was spoiled for me. So when I pushed play, I did know exactly what was going to happen, but mm. I did really enjoy watching it play out. I thought Owen Teague was going to be a much bigger part of the story. Right. You know, well, yeah. I thought that's understandable because he is listed during yeah. the in the opening credits. So I I assume he did have more to do, mm-hmm. and and then just and then just most of his character got edited out. 
It could be that. I think also because we're genre fans, we're pretty accustomed to seeing him and thinking he's going to be a big part of something because <laughs> uh-huh. you think of The Stand, you think of a couple of other things, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I, we recognize this person. I think to conventional non-genre audiences, it would just be a, who is that guy? Right, exactly. It would be the same reaction that I had when I was looking at Mrs. Murray. I was like, I think I know her. Yeah. He looks vaguely familiar. I think I've seen him in something. Right, right. And I do really, I don't want to say I enjoy where this goes, but I really love where the story takes us, you know, and what we get to chew on with this story, because it's really, it's not really about the men. It's about the women and how they respond to the men, how they tangle with each other and what is the best way to respond. And I'm kind of glad that like, she's got a crush on ONT. That's great. But that's not really what her journey is in this story, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I I think it's interesting that she only with ONT's character, it seems more just like a, a sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. Right. Where I think with Rebecca, there's more of an, a, what she at least perceives to be an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just somebody who sees her too, you know, I think, and especially somebody that glamorous. And I'm curious about your read on this. Because I can see like a romantic interest read, but also just kind of like, I want to be this person. And if I can get her enough, I can figure out how to be Rebecca, you know? But that's a pretty conventional piece of queer media, um, Mm. especially a sort of historical perspective on it where it's, do I want to fuck this person or do I want to be this person? Mm. And from a queer lens, the answer is simply yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why not both? Exactly, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think in some ways, Rebecca... Like we said several times, you know, in some ways she's almost a cipher. She's everything that Eileen is not. And Mm -hmm. she proves to Eileen, oh, a woman like this not only exists, but can do things well. And then I love how the back half of the film shaves that off to say, no, no, she's actually a real human being. Like, I was reflecting on how I think the shift happens with this twist. It's not my house. Ooh, I lost my mind to a certain degree. And now I've tied this woman up in her own basement. And I love how it kind of proves that even someone as composed as Rebecca, who's a professional, a graduate from Harvard, she is just as fallible as everybody else that we see sort of down there in the muckety muck. Mm-hmm. You, you tell Eileen kind of knew something was up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she's like completely baffled that that Rebecca supposedly lives in this shabby little house in, yes. in, in like, you know, a blue collar neighborhood. She's just like, Hilly, this is where the, this is where you live, you know. Right. It's like, because mm-hmm. you know you would expect her to live in like I don't know where you would find a penthouse apartment in you know the most depressing mm-hmm. suburb in Boston, but you would definitely expect her to have a more you know elegant Polished. surroundings. Yeah. And here it's just like she just lives in a dump like I do, and and you know, but then it turns out it's not her dump; it's someone else's dump. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Her dump is the plan that she made, and how that all falls apart. And it's interesting to like to have Joe. You know, I think you said shaving the the veneer off, and it's just like, oh, everybody's got an inner Eileen. Everybody has got a piece of their life where they're a total mess, and mm-hmm. Eileen just doesn't really hide hers that well. I don't know if right. it's that she's really even trying that hard to hide it because it feels like she's just kind of given up, you know. Well, and we even get that when we finally get down into the basement Mm -hmm. with Mrs. Polk, who is played Mm -hmm. by 
Marin Ireland, who whenever she shows up, you know shit is about to go. Oh yeah, I mean, the, uh-huh. the, the most unexpected part of this bit of this whole movie is how she basically blows the two of them off the screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> she has this, this like late act, third act monologue about while tied to so, a post, right? Too. But you know, basically she's defiant, she's guilt stricken, and it's just like it, it's it is Ooh. wild. My mouth was hanging open. I know. So she did this and Birth Rebirth, the Frankenstein film, last year. And it's like, Ooh. holy fucking shit, what an actor. And she was uh-huh. like and she was like the one really like whipping part of she was in the boogeyman too. She was uh the Yeah, she was in the Boogeyman, that's what I was gonna say. (laughs) Uh, She was a a David Desmalchian's character's wife. And and Mm -hmm. while the rest of the movie is pretty light and silly, (laughs) there she is suddenly like, you know Living it up. Yeah, Uh punching the audience in the gut, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you want the audience to feel something, you hire Marin Ireland. I mean, we don't even need to talk about the dark and the wicked, but like, <sighs> oh yeah, I I love how she just has this very average, not not an unattractive way, but like she's brings such a believability mm-hmm. to every one of her performances. Like I'm sure that when she's like done up, she she's beautiful, looks great. Oh yeah, but but yeah. here, but here, like like she just looks like the shabby ass working class mom mm-hmm. who just like turns her back on like you know this abusive horrific treatment her son goes through because you know she can't can't have can't not have a man so yeah. i mean you know the, 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 you know the sacrifices she makes you know is kind of ignoring the fact that her son is being sexually abused on the reg you know and it's just like you you should hate her mm-hmm. but at the same time she just you understand it she's so yes. pitiful and and you know you understand that this was probably much more common you back you know in the 1960s and further back than than anybody is willing to admit mm-hmm. and you know and then she's like when she gets shot she's like startled like you know like like i said what you wanted me to say you know and it's like she looks right. devastated like you know you know you made you you made me lay myself open like that and you're still punishing me and 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 mm-hmm. you, you, you actually feel sorry for her yes yeah oh yeah and the scene where she makes her take the pills that oh. is so oh. upsetting and there's another yes. similar scene that in another movie this year that it's it's just a character like taking pills and it's not the same and Jean, you may know what i'm talking about but it's just so like it's so hard to watch because it feels so realistic it's not over the top it's not gory it just feels Mm -hmm. so lived in and i love this monologue that she has because it i am sure that's how so many women have like have justified this kind of behavior to themselves and i want to ask your take on why eileen actually shoots her when she does because it's really interesting like she just kind of starts talking about her dad you know and i i wonder given what we saw in the car Mm -hmm. if there has been something else that's happened with her dad and the reason that eileen actually shoots her in this moment is because she it's doesn't want her to keep going. Yeah. 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 Doesn't want to, doesn't want to, doesn't want to hear what she has to say anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you can definitely make that reading. I think the more simplistic one is just, I don't want to think about my father in this moment. I don't mm. want to think about the implications for my own experience. And also you're done. You gave mm-hmm. us what you want and we don't need you to keep talking anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I've already got a shitty parent that I can't shoot, but I can shoot you right now. And you're mm-hmm. a shitty parent, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're somehow in, in some ways it's a shot for two. And then it immediately follows where Rebecca is freaking out. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I love that Eileen's first inclination is, well, why don't we just blame it on my dad? Mm-hmm. Like, Two I can have my stone, cake and eat you know? it, too, even though she doesn't ultimately go through with it. So my question then to the two of you is, had Rebecca not chickened out, even though we all knew she was never going to come to Eileen's, she was mm-hmm. never going to follow through on the plan, but had she, do you think Eileen would have actually seen this through? Would she have pinned this murder on her dad and then tried to make a life with Rebecca? Or is it just like, no. That's a good question, honestly. I I don't really I don't really know. I think she probably would have tried to go through with it because I think she would have still been trying to perform for Rebecca, you know, and mm. trying to like, oh, that's okay. I'm strong. I can take care of us. I've got you because she, I think she saw how rattled Rebecca was. Right. Um. I'm really glad. I, I really like the way this ends, even though I do yes. agree it's very abrupt, but I love very like abrupt. that smile in the truck when she's like, mm-hmm. I don't need Rebecca to have a life. I can have a life without her because now I see that like I mm-hmm. am a strong enough person to take action, even if it's not a good action. Yeah. It, it's interesting because in some ways I, I agree with both of you. I do think it feels very abrupt, if only because I think I want to see more of how Eileen actually handles herself. I would love to see a sequel to this, which shows us, you know, who does she become? In some ways, it it's almost a little ex-Pearl Maxini where you're mm-hmm. just like, what happens next? How does this character survive? Do they survive? <laughs> and so on. Mm-hmm. But I think it's appropriately fitting because in some ways, this is the end of the journey. Like, we kind of know that Eileen's going to be okay because of that little sly smile. Mm-hmm. And she got out, you know, she, 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 you know, broke free mm-hmm. of, of the circuit. I mean, she was kind of forced to, but maybe that's the only thing that would have worked right. is, is, you know, a jarring situation to kind of, you know, kick her out of the nest as it were. Mm-hmm. And I have, I did download the audiobook and I, st- I got about 10 pages in and then I just had to start reading something else. But I do think it starts with her as like a 50 year old. And she's talking a little bit about her life. I don't think we have a whole lot of information from what I remember. And Jenny, you may remember more. But I think that if she had gone with Rebecca, if Rebecca had showed up, she would have just been in Rebecca's prison. You know, she would have because she Mm -hmm. would have had to keep trying to feeling like, well, now I've got to keep this glamorous woman still liking me, still wanting to be with me. And I, I just... Yeah, I agree. I think she is going to survive, you know. And also, uh, you know, quite frankly, if they were were forming a romantic relationship, they couldn't have lived openly with that. Mm-hmm. They, 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 you know, it would have been right. a whole other different kind of you know circumstances where they have to you know hide what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask the, kind of the other side. What do you think Rebecca's interest in Eileen is? Uh, I'm inclined to agree with Gina. I think this is a cosmopolitan woman who has moved to a small town and she's bored. Mm -hmm. So when she sees a young, naive, kind of innocent girl, like I don't think it's malicious, but I think she takes an interest in her as, oh, you're the only remotely interesting person. And also I can 
use you if yeah. I need to, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can take you out drinking and we can get into trouble and I can push a man around and it'll be fun because no one else is going to do this in this very conservative blue collar town. Mm-hmm. Right. And and she gets, I mean, basically uh, uh, the minute Eileen looks at her, she's got hard eyes. She knows. Yeah. And, it, yes. and it's just like, you know, oh, okay, here's someone I can, you know, kind of manipulate. Not, I don't even want to say manipulate. I guess there is some manipulation to it, but, but it's uh, tough, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I think we're all struggling with it because there is definitely a degree of manipulation. Like, Rebecca is in control for so much of the film until she's not. And then that's when the power switches and Eileen's in control. And that's why I think the movie is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because you see Rebecca doesn't like that anymore, you know, although I think there are probably a number of reasons that she doesn't show up. And also, like, it feels good to have somebody obsessed with you, you know? Oh, sure, yeah. I agree. I don't think it's really malicious. And I think she really is kind of only half intentional about what she's doing. She's just kind of like, oh, let's see where this goes, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when she gets into this situation that she can't figure out how to get out of, she's like, well... You know, There's Eileen. only one person I can call. Exactly. And this person is giving me the hard eyes, so I know I can probably get her to do whatever I want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why the gunshot is sort of doubly fantastic, because it's so unexpected to us in that moment. You know, we see Eileen pointing the gun at her through nearly the entire confession. You'd think, don't show me a gun if you're not going to shoot it. But then mm-hmm. we're not seeing the gun when it actually goes off, so it is actually unexpected. But mm-hmm. also... You wouldn't think that Eileen would actually ever have the gumption to do it and not against this random woman. Yeah. Well, and what almost feels like the bigger betrayal to me is when Rebecca looks at her and is like, why did you shoot her? Mm-hmm. Bitch, like, you told me to. Why did you bring me here? You know? uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm here to be your heavy lady. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's in that moment where you kind of realize, like, this this isn't going to end in a a relationship. No, 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 no. It's too heavy for Rebecca. You know, it's like you she could she could conceivably you know squeak out of this situation, but you know she can't do that and and have Eileen tagging around, tagging along with her. Mm -hmm. What do you think does happen to Rebecca? Do you think she just shows up at work the next day like nothing happened? Oh no, I think no, I think she I think she she totally I think leaves. she flees. Yeah, I think she just totally just pieces out and leaves. She just moves to the other side of the country, changes her hair, becomes a different Anne Hathaway, and <laughs> yeah. lives her beautiful, gorgeous life. Yeah. Yeah, which honestly might even be more suspicious if I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like because there's no there forensic for three files. weeks and now you're looking for a new job what exactly happened? and the only two people in the small town that are missing are the mm-hmm. two ladies we saw getting into a fight at the bar but you know i guess yeah. it was the 60s it is the 60s right or is it the 50s it's i think the early 60s yeah. okay so a little bit of both maybe <laughs> but question then so do the two of you read this as a happy ending i think i do or at least the happiest I think we could get from what we're given, because I think Eileen is going to get out of her sad life. And I don't know if it's going to end up better, but at least she's got control. She's she's breaking out of prison in this moment. She's getting away from her dad. And I think I also like that she doesn't kill him or she doesn't like frame him for murder. Like she just mm-hmm. kind of she just walks away. We'll exactly. Away. <laughs> like live and let live. And just he can he's a grown up, too, you know. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do, I think I read it as, as as happy as it 
could be. She doesn't she doesn't seem terribly surprised or even upset that that Rebecca doesn't show up. I think she has accepted that she is on her own. Mm-hmm. that you know this is this is the time she has to take it regardless of if she has somebody with her or not yeah, yeah. i loved the moment where she goes upstairs and she changes coats so she was wearing one of her mom's coats and her dad has commented on it you know like why are you always wearing this one uh you know she looks so much better in it than you do and so on mm-hmm. like it's very much a dress-up thing but then she puts on the fur which is such a mature coat for a young woman to wear right and expensive right mm-hmm. so you know she takes out the fur coat stuffs it with all of her secreted away money which i totally thought was going to be missing but mm-hmm. it's not and then strikes out on her own and it's just like yeah i don't think it's a good ending for this character like i think she'd probably get caught immediately or her <laughs> life would be garbage because she mm-hmm. has very little credentials remember she had to drop out of school and everything mm-hmm. but in this moment, it's hard not to read it as a personal victory for her. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's all about where you stop telling the story. Yeah. You know, I, I have this whole nihilistic thing about like, I don't think there are happy endings like because every because everything is going to end and everyone is going to die. So it's just kind of <laughs> <laughs> finding these moments of freedom. <laughs> and strangely that makes me feel better yeah (laughs) but if you end the story on this moment of freedom for this character then we can keep going with that freedom and we can imagine a glamorous life like maybe Mm -hmm. she will get to the big city and she'll dye her hair blonde maybe she takes rebecca's name maybe she like she becomes a criminal psychologist like the she's like it ends the story on a road that we don't know where it's going so it's like Mm -hmm. she literally could be going anywhere And I love that. Well, I even love that the final image that we see is the truck she gets into taking the off ramp to join the main highway. Like, okay, Eileen, you can now join civilization as an active member of the film. You're not just a supporting person. You're not off on this weird tangent off ramp. You're part of the main fray now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) It's a damn good movie. movie. I really enjoy it. It really is. I, I, unfortunately, I it really seemed to get lost in the shuffle. Oh, I got lost. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think it might not have been a great idea to release it. You know, at the end of the year when you know you've got a lot of these uh, big budget. You know, and again, as we said before, when we were when we were talking before we recorded, it's it's very pared down. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's even like an hour and forty minutes. It's very brisk. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. You know, on the other hand, one of the good parts is we got to miss that interminable, you know, oh, well, there aren't any likable characters in this movie. There are no likable oh, characters, and mm-hmm. which only seems to be a problem for people if, if the protagonists are yes. predominantly women. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were talking about how off-putting she is, like... Part of me was like, yes, I love seeing, like, an She's a messy woman. Because everybody, oh, everybody, no. everybody is, a, is a little weird. Uh-huh. Yes. And everybody's a little gross, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's 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 wild that it's still bold to show somebody being gross. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially a woman. Right. Exactly. Guys, yeah. Men, men, yeah. Men. It's you know, it's practically a whole subgenre of you know. Oh, here's this gross guy who manages to still get a hot woman after him. You know. Oh, yeah. I mean, so but yeah, like all these oh, hot blondes who don't take showers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, to me, this is just the latest in a series of release failures from neon because Mm -hmm. as a distributor 
they are garbage at getting their movies out and in front of people's eyeballs, which is such a shame because honestly, I like about 90% of their movies. Like How to Blow Up a Pipeline was my favorite film of last year. Really? And no one fucking knows about it. I haven't seen it yet. It's amazing. It's so yeah, good. Other than the fact that they don't do a lot of horror, I, I feel like that they are pretty up there at day 24 as being you know, cons- consistently mm-hmm. well-made and interesting movies. Oh, yeah. And they have a high pedigree of stars, too. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking maybe the most visible one I saw this year is Infinity Pool. Right. Although we do have Ferrari. And I mean, that's partly because I'm always going to see something with a scars guard in it. But even that, what, that came out in like January or February? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Well, it premiered at Sundance last year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like neon. Good movies. Cannot get them in front of people. And it sucks because they they gave a gorgeous box set out to to critics mm-hmm. at the end. I know, like they got it in and, front of and us. Eileen was in, was part of that. <laughs> yeah, yep. they also had the really great "It Lives Inside," which I liked mm-hmm. a lot. That's a great one. Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah, like, they're doing good stuff. They are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we put a pin and Eileen there? And Jen, if anybody wants to talk to you about uh, hitting the road and starting <laughs> towards a new nihilistic end, how would they get in touch? You can follow me at Jen Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram, and I will post everything that I pod and write on there. Excellent. And Gina, if people want to talk about messy women and chocolate laxatives, how would they get in touch? <laughs> I will advise I'm not an expert on chocolate laxatives, but I, I will be happy to discuss <laughs> if you if you so desire. Uh, you can find me on all social medias except Twitter under Gina Does Things. All right. And I can be reached at B, stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And of course, we'll thank the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad Network for hosting the show. But ladies, this is not the end of White Ladies in Crisis. We will be back next month. And uh, I don't know about you two, but I'm feeling like we should have a little slumber party. <gasps> Order some pizza. Mm-hmm. Will there be a massacre? Oh. Only time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to check out the original Slumber Party Massacre, not the remake, although extra credit if you haven't checked that one out because it is worth your time. Well worth it, yeah. Yeah, which one of us is bringing the giant drill? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no spoilers. <laughs> That's just a phallus, Jen. Oh, sorry. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until then, uh, you know, get your dance on, and if somebody tries to grope you, just absolutely push them to the floor. Yeah. Scream Pod Squad.